This Choircast podcast is brought to you by Holy Heretics, the post-evangelical podcast where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. We're starting conversations about God, politics, Christian nationalism, sexuality, gender, spiritual abuse, faith deconstruction, and how to recover from evangelicalism. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, activists, and writers in our quest to find a freer faith. Listen wherever you get your podcast or check us out at sophiasociety.org slash podcast. They're all around us and they all have a story to tell. Each of us can learn something from someone else if we just stop and listen to their story. Hi, I'm Leslie Neese. I want to welcome you to Honoring the Journey podcast. My friend Karen Schock and I co-host, and we decided this would be a great place to share stories of people from different faiths, cultures, lifestyles, backgrounds, all in an effort to understand a different perspective without religious baggage. No more fear, no more judgment. Have you ever just wanted to understand someone's perspective better? Well, this is your chance. We hope today's journey is going to inspire you, soften your heart a bit, and maybe even knock down some walls that you may have built up without even realizing it. Let's honor someone's journey today. Welcome to Honoring the Journey. My name is Leslie Neese, here with my friend Karen Schock and Today, we have a super special guest. Uh, his name is Jim Palmer. Maybe you've heard of him, the baseball. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's what my husband said. You're having the baseball guy? I'm like, no, honey. Jim Palmer is the founder of the Center for Non-Religious Spirituality. And I don't know if you've heard of this place, but it's pretty amazing. It's an online community. He's a certified spiritual director. He's a member of Spiritual Directors International, and he's also a chaplain with the American Humanist Association. Jim's background includes a Master's of Divinity from Trinity Seminary in Chicago. He's a professor of comparative religion, philosophy of religion, and ethics. Jim is also a trained religious trauma and spiritual abuse counselor, a published author, speaker, podcaster, retreat leader, and also a really great friend of mine. And I have really enjoyed getting to know him over the last few months. So Jim, welcome to Honoring the Journey. Thanks, Leslie and Karen. Leslie, I'll send you the 25 bucks later for that nice intro. Oh, that's real good. Do you do like PayPal or what yeah. is it? No, it's great, be, it's great to be on. Of course, I I met Karen at Awakening, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, Leslie, we've known each other. We've, you know, kind of been colleagues and worked on some projects together and so on. So, yeah, I'm really happy to be on uh, to talk. Uh, with you all today and, you know, be the heretic that I'm so often accused of and all that. Well, we welcome you and you're, you're in good company. I'm pretty sure we've all three been called that at some point. Yeah, that's true. Um, Yeah. So whatever. Uh, Well, Jim, so we really like to ask people sometimes, like, especially people who I know have been through a faith transition of sorts, which I believe you have. And what I like to know is, is there something in your past when you were maybe in your evangelical days, because I know you were a pastor, right? Of one of the ones at Willow Creek, right? Yeah, I was a pastor at Willow Creek back in the day. And yeah. then um, was also the the founding and pastor of another um, kind of Willow Creek non-denominational church in Nashville, the music city. Nashville. Well, so was there something maybe that, you know, you look at and you're like, man, I used to teach that, preach that, believe that, impose that. Uh, and now you're like, cringe. Like, I can't believe I did that. What, what like comes to the top of the list when I say that to you? Hmm, pretty much everything. No. So, <laughs> yeah, I went to seminary at Trinity. That's where I learned my theology. I think probably at the top of the list, the thing that I built my theology around as an evangelical Christian was what I now call separation theology, which is the idea that there is a God and that this God is separate from everything else and that we are also separated from God And there's a lot of Christian theology that gets wrapped up in that, right? That God is this sort of sky Gandalf male deity who created the world 
separate from the world, create human beings, human beings sin, and then the original sin doctrine that kind of pits humankind against God creates the idea that there is separation between us and God, that there's something innately wrong with who we are as human beings, and that this is what sets up the big problem in Christianity that has to be solved. And of course, you know, the doctrine of hell is another one that's closely associated with all this, right? That, you know, um, that if if you don't believe the right things or you don't make the right choices about God, that it could result in eternal conscious torment as punishment for this. So the doctrine of, a, of eternal conscious torment. And when you think about it, the whole edifice of Christian theology does tend to revolve around this idea of separation theology. Mm-hmm. Right, and right. So the more I deconstructed what I learned in seminary and what I was teaching, I just kind of noticed that like once you kind of pull on that thread, then a whole lot of your, at least my Christian theology, began to sort of crumble to the ground. So um, I think the other for me was the way I taught the Bible. I very much learned that the Bible should be taken literally, that, um, that the writers of the stories in the Old Testament you know, we're intending us to take these stories literally like Adam and Eve and the fall and, you know, Noah's Ark and Jonah and the whale, that these stories are meant to be taken literally. And the idea that even the New Testament writers were in some sort of trance state and and there was the miraculous work of God to dictate the truth that they were sort of etching out in their New Testament writings, you know, I guess mainly Paul, since he wrote the bulk of the of the New Testament and probably shaped Christianity more than any other person, including Jesus. So, um, <laughs> so I that was a big change, right? Like, right, you yeah. know, um, And then I just had to learn along the way that there's a lot of fa- false choices that, that come up when people deconstruct their faith, right? Like one false choice is there. There's either the the god of fundamentalist christian theism or there's just no god at all and that's a false choice right right Right. another false choice is either the bible is the dictated inerrant word of god or the bible's just bullshit that's a false choice you know right yeah Um, either jesus was the was god in a way that nobody else is and his whole significance is relating to the atonement based on his death on the cross, or there just wasn't any Jesus at all. And Jesus doesn't matter. (laughs) Like those are just all a bunch of false choices. You can believe in God and not be a radical Christian theist. You can see value in the Bible and not be a literalist. You can ascribe to the significance of Jesus without buying into him as the front man for Christianity. So there's a lot of spectrum of, of ways that people can work this out for themselves. So I, people get upset with me for two reasons. There are those people who would, who don't like uh, what I say about Jesus. They don't like, because it doesn't fit into their, their evangelical understanding. And then there's people who don't want to talk to me, don't want me to talk about Jesus at all, because they feel like I should just let go entirely anything, any shred of anything associated with Christianity. So, Mm. you know, I recently did that post that, that was like 10 things that both Jesus and every atheist could agree on. So I think that once you sort of disentangle Jesus from the religion that he's blamed for, mm-hmm. you know, then you find a lot of universal significance, in my view, of Jesus to every person, regardless of what they believe about God. Well, so, okay. I love that. Tell me what that looks like for you now. How do you see him? And here's what, here's one thing I want to say, which I love in deconstruction. I think, you know, everybody thinks we're all sort of on the same road, you know, exploring everything exactly the same. We all end up in the same place, which is, you know, a heretic that we're wrong and we're going in this direction. Everybody's going in that direction. We're all just a bunch of sheep. But the truth is in deconstruction, people are on different roads learning different things because there are certain things that maybe triggered them that made them anxious when they were in their religion um that they're like okay like for me for instance it was fear so afraid i think karen yours too right absolutely 100%. so afraid 
And also <laughs> believing that I was absolute trash. If it weren't for Jesus, I would be nothing. Like I've had to really work through that. But like, what was the thing? I I guess I'm, here's what I love about your story. You were a pastor of a pretty big church. Um, I would say a mega church, I would say. Mm -hmm. So like, how did you, what, what made you go, okay, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I'm going to start looking in this direction. And how do you see Jesus now? Yeah, I would say that despite my seminary approved bulletproof evangelical theology and nobody stood in the spotlight and better delivered my Trinity formulated evangelical theology. And I did this, you know, week after week after week, month after month, year after year. So despite my giving what I thought was excellent information about God, I give people the right information about God and their lives are transformed. And despite doing this, one day it struck me in the pastoral counseling work that I did with members in the congregation is it just seemed like that the problems in people's lives persisted despite my mm -hmm. biblical preaching and their involvement in the organization of the church. Depression, anxiety, broken relationships, um, a lack of peace, mental health well-being, it just seems like this mainly persisted in people's lives. And then one day in a rare moment of brutal self-honesty, I realized, well, this is also true of me. Mm. Like I'm running around trying to manage this big <clears throat> super ministry thing. And like, I wouldn't describe myself either as a person of like equanimity and peace and joy and liberation. And so that recognition is what triggered my eventual decision to not only leave my ministerial career, but to pull the plug on my Christianity and figure out what went wrong. Like what happened here and what's true or not true and, and to uh, try to get to the bottom of it. Jesus has persisted and endured as a person of interest. Right. Even on even on like my social media, it's anytime I post about Jesus, it's the most engaged and shared sure. post that I write, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think there's there's a lot of reasons for this. But for me personally, I came to understand that when Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And when Jesus said that I am the truth, Jesus was essentially, in my view, trying to confront the false religious notion that humankind is estranged from God. Mm -hmm. All these times when Jesus speaks of or referring to the idea of him being one with God, or claiming to be divine and human, that Jesus is wanting to understand ourselves in light of this great truth, that there isn't separation, there isn't estrangement, we don't need religion. Religion created a problem that doesn't exist, and then it held itself out as the solution to a non-problem. Mm. And so I think that, wow. that the claim of Jesus being divine and human gets at the I think at, at the heart of almost uh, of all suffering in the world, which is that we're separated from God, we're separated from ultimate reality, we're separated from the love and peace and wisdom and joy and liberation that we desire, that all these things are fundamentally, that we're fundamentally separated from them. And so the trick is to figure out what you need to do, you know, to, to fix that. And in the case of Christianity, at least for some Christians, it's, you know, Jesus is the atonement, accept Jesus in your heart. Yeah. And that this is kind of what, what resolves it. You know, I think Jesus was put to death because he was his entire life refuted the the religious establishment of his day and even the political establishment of his day and and that 
that Jesus was willing to die for uh, what he stood for, his conviction about humankind's relationship with God. You know, there's plenty of verses about the, you know, John 17, the whole prayer, I'm in God, God's in me, you're in the, I mean, like, I don't know how yeah. many more times Jesus could have made this point about <laughs> the, that there is no separate or separation from God. And then, you know, all we that we just made a religion out of it. And somehow we came up with something different. I was just thinking the first time I heard you speak, Jim, my husband and I were at the Awaken Conference two years ago, and you were kind of like the main keynote speaker of the weekend. And we both came away. And I, Kevin, just before we got on here with you, Jim, he po poked his head in and I said, what do you remember most? And he, and he said, he taught us about the separation, the hmm. separation thing. And he said, I never heard that before. And then it's even as you're speaking, I'm like, that was the first thing you said that came out of your mouth was my whole life was about, I'm desperate for you, God. I need you, God. Come, you know, like me with my hands raised, begging God to come and to be with me, to be near me, to be in me, to, or, you know, work through me, die to myself so that he can, all of these things of God is out there and it's his job to my, instead of what you taught us in that little, sorry, in that little time of being with us and what I feel like you're saying now again, and it's refreshing for me just to hear you say it again. I need to hear it again. Is just that, no, we are, there is, I can, instead of asking God to come and do it, I say, okay, God in me, Let's go do it. Like whatever yeah. that looks like, I don't know. Like and it's, it's in our DNA. <laughs> and it's really hard because in my reformed theology, so many years, all I was taught was you're nothing. You're depraved. There's nothing good in you. So now you've got to die to yourself and get this God that's on the outside somehow in. But instead of like, no, you're, you're good inside. And my counselor would say to me, you're looking outside for people to approve you. And she's like, you need to go inside and find that approval inside. And I'm like, you know, Whitney Houston, learning to love yourself. It's the greatest love of all. And I'm like, no, no, don't see that. We can't love ourselves. Like, that's a sin. So I, it's really hard for me to go inside and think there's anything still. I've got trauma, Jim. Speak to my trauma. Well, I, I confession right now, Jim. No, I think that the toxic religious indoctrination sabotages a person's relationship with themselves. Like for all the reasons you said, I am bad. I am powerless on my own. I my heart is wicked. I cannot trust myself. Yep. You know, I'm basically nothing. Yep. Apart from the fact that somehow the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to my account so that God, there's this little thing that happens when God looks at me. He doesn't actually see me because if he actually saw me, he'd be disgusted. He sees Jesus yes. instead. And so it's OK. And so, you know, um, all of that sabotages a person's relationship with themselves. And so when a lot of the deconstruction work I do with people, the foundation is to repair that relationship, self-acceptance, self-trust, self-respect, you know, the list just kind of goes on. And what happens sometimes with people who leave, you know, toxic religion creates human development deficits that have to be addressed in your deconstruction work. Like a lot yes. of people think the deconstruction is mainly a belief system swap. Like mm -hmm. you have a CD, you have a CD player, and this is kind of like I guess ages me, but there's a CD <laughs> player, you know, and like it pops open, and you take out the evangelical whatever theological disc, and you just plug the new and improved Christianity in it, and just pop back in. And people are often thinking that the real work of deconstruction, just swapping out an old belief system for a better, new and improved belief system, but that doesn't necessarily address. The fundamental substructures of a person on a human development level. 
and we we can make that very religious right like you know maybe in the past it was like the religious guru the church the religious teachers and so on so maybe it was john MacArthur. now it's richard Rohr. it used to be right. this like now you know we have all the the new progressive christian even deconstruction influencers that like you know we put them on pedestals we basically defer to their authority in terms of what ideas that we should be following and this kind of thing. And so we're just repeating <laughs> the same. The, the thing that, that we miss in that is, is for you to be the authority yourself for your path forward and that you're capable of being that person for yourself. But there are human development deficits for a lot of people who leave religion. Critical thinking is one that a person's never really approached life from a critical thinking point of view. It's possible that your religious background has so narrowly limited your exposure to the kind of knowledge necessary for a healthy spiritual and human development. Like right. I know for myself back in the day, there was just like a do not enter sign bolted to so many different fields of knowledge, psychology in the mental yeah. health field, do oh, not, yeah. enter, you know, philosophy. That's a worldly not. system. And, and oh, you are going down the slippery slope if you go to, you know, a psychiatrist or a therapist, because unless it's biblically based, they're going to take you down a very dark and scary road. That's I what wasn't I even allowed to go outside of my church for counseling. Yeah. Okay. I was told, you stay in this, we have counselors in this church, you stay in here. Or even the natural sciences, you know, like a lot of people never went down that path, right? Because, you know, evolution and Charles right. Darwin and all, and all this stuff, you know, is like, um, I mean, I'm right now in the process of, I'm running a new series on psychedelics. Let's take this, for example, let's take psychedelics. So let's take them. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, let's take them. <laughs> no <laughs> Can I take them? Well, the, you know, I was working on an article about this this morning, but first off, for me, coming from a religious background, you know, psychedelics would be like totally bad, aka demonic, and who knows what. And I've been, in the past, I was fairly uninformed about it. It just seemed like it's just a fringe thing that like a marginal number of people have an interest in. And then on top of that, you know, it only applies to like maybe psychiatry and it's probably just these way out people who are getting into this stuff. And after all, it's drugs, like who incorporates like drug usage into their spirituality, right? Like, the, you know, and then, and I thought it's probably all this stuff. And then suddenly, like, I started realizing how many people are talking about psychedelics, how much therapeutic guided psychedelic usage there is in other parts of the world there's already all kinds of psychedelic usage spiritual retreats yeah. michael pollan did this documentary on netflix about psychedelics which is he's kind of known as one of the, the go-to experts on it it's one of the most popular netflix series and like this isn't only being talking about because we think well it's probably some new age you oh, know, yeah. thing, right you know until, you know, and I heard a long interview with Sam Harris and another individual. Sam Harris is an atheist, but he's into spirituality. He did a, a big thing on the use of psychedelics. Look, all that to say is that toxic religion can prevent people from exploring knowledges and experiences that are foundational to human development. You can't just do it, in my view, with like theology. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with theology, but it's not sufficient in and of itself to be the only knowledge or experience that one needs for healthy human and spiritual development. Well, you know, uh, I, I had a thought once, and I don't know if I, I might be completely off base, but... Um, I was thinking about when John was in the Isle of Patmos and he was writing Revelation. Do you think there was some sort of psilocybin? I mean, there, the things he saw and the way right. that he explained it, it kind of sounded like a trip to me. And like, not a, I'm not, I don't mean like he was tripping out and out of his mind. I mean, he was actually tapping into something like, 
you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I've thought of that. I'm like, who's to yeah, say no. some of the, I mean, when they saw the the donkey talk, what was there something going on that maybe we weren't aware of? Yeah, that, that, that that's kind of weird. <laughs> no, I think that's an interesting idea. That is it possible that there were natural plant or herbal sorts of substances that would have been available to biblical writers? It would have right. been perhaps viewed as as a, a normal part of their of their world. Yeah. But, right. Well, to be kind of, I don't know, what would be the word? Cautionary. Psychedelics is not something that you necessarily have to or even should do necessarily on your own. Right. Right. You know, yeah. like there are ways to do this with people who are trained, whether it's um, a therapeutic usage relative to like substance addiction or PTSD, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or if you're using it as a, a a pathway for enhancing your spirituality. There are people that have some training to guide yes. people in the process. You know, it's just not necessarily like just going you know, out in your backyard and you know, <laughs> grow, growing mushrooms and you know smoking yeah, be careful. <laughs> so please you know, be careful. Yeah. So there is a lot of like irresponsible mm-hmm. or even as with everything. Like, yeah, right. That it's not like you just carelessly go marching off into the whole area of psychedelics willy-nilly. I mean, you know, like it you can do your own investigation and I encourage people to do this. But the thing about it is, is alternative spiritualities has become more prominent, particularly in the U.S. Witchcraft and tarot cards and palm reading and paganism and Wiccan. And there's like, you know, an endless number of ways. All the things that everything you just said gave me anxiety in my, and because I haven't um, deconstructed that part yet. I haven't really looked into like, what does this mean? And what did you mean by this in the Bible, God? So like, it's so funny to me. You're saying these things. I'm like, that can't be good. That can't be good. But you're trying to say like, hold it loosely. like, Or at least explore and understand. Now I kind of have to do it in a way as a spiritual director, because I'm noticing that more people are interested in exploring these things or are currently somehow dabbling in them, you know, um, so Generation Z is an interesting generation. They're for sure the least religious generation ever. They're the first post-Christian generation. The number of Gen Zers that identify as atheists is double the general population. And whereas a lot of people in our age group, roughly, who are deconstructing, one of our big questions is, could God have possibly ever like commanded people to smash babies in the rock. Like, you know, it's yeah. reframing the Bible and the absurdities that we now see in the Bible that we want to reframe with a different biblical hermeneutic. But a lot of Gen Zers are doing things differently in their deconstruction. Many of them have no interest in kind of rehashing a Christian message, even with a better biblical hermeneutic. And what happens is that not just Gen Zers, but here's what a lot of people do in their deconstruction. They start their deconstruction and maybe they leave church. There's a couple, they make kind of quick order of a few doctrines that don't make sense like hell. And, you know, but they keep deconstructing and deconstructing and deconstructing and deconstructing until they get to a point of a sort of paralysis that sometimes is referred to as nihilism which is that you lose a sense of any meaning and absolutes and you're kind of bereft of answers to life's biggest existential questions about existence and death. I mean, we're talking about people who deconstruct to the point where they can't get out of bed, you know, in the morning. Like, why? Why get out of bed? Right. What is there to live for? Right. And and, and then a lot of those people keep deconstructing, deconstructing, they'll deconstruct all absolutes away, any objective morality will even deconstruct free will away. And after getting to the end of all that, then, you know, um, like imagine somebody coming to you for deconstruction counseling and they're absolutely convinced that they're a sort of an object in, in a video game. Like they're they're a thing in a computer generated reality. This is you know? the matrix. Sure. Yeah, the matrix or something <laughs> sure. like that. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I've heard yeah. people think they, there are people that really think that. It's yeah. Totally so different. So like Leslie was saying before, there's such a broad spectrum of what people do in their deconstruction. There's no right or wrong. I mean, it doesn't, you know, like, it's kind of like you do you. Yeah. Um, speaking of Wiccan, they do have that main principle, which is that, you know, basically, you know, do kind of what you want, but just don't do any harm. Like, mm -hmm. don't use, don't harm other people. And as long as you don't do that, you know, like, go ahead and give yourself the freedom to explore what's meaningful for you, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of hard to do with the, with the general Christian mindset, which is that there's gotta be, you know, there's kind of a right way, you know, and um, if you get outside the, the Christian Jesus conversation, it's kind of probably second rate in terms of what you're doing with your spirituality or whatever, you know, um, so it's just very diverse, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, we were talking earlier about, you know, I've worked with people who come from cults, for example, high control cults, there's a real spectrum. I mean, there's everything from Hillsong, which not everybody referred to as a cult, but that all the way to like, you know, Jim Jones or Heaven's right. Gate or, you, you know, fundamentalist Mormons and so on. But the latest phenomenon that has been happening is cults that are built around self-help and professional development sort of messages and endeavors. So Nixium is is a perfect example. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If you've ever that documentary, if oh. you oh, that's it's a good but one. But that documentary really opened my eyes. Yeah. When I watched that, because at first I was like, wait, this doesn't even seem so bad. They're going to camp together. They're like, you know, <laughs> wait a minute, yeah. we did this. And then I'm like, oh, we did this stuff. Oh, it's, wait. It, it's so predictable. Oh, Honestly, yeah. the characteristics of how cults form, you know, um, one of the sort of miss a misknowledge about cults is that people who get into them are just kind of like these people who really should know better, or, you know, stumbling through life and not all there, or just, right. you know, not overall smart or intelligent people. But it's not true. A lot of highly intelligent professional people get swept up into, into cults, you know, and part of that is a testament to just how effective a narcissistic spiritual or self-help leader can gradually groom and brainwash people into a level of commitment that's absolutely absurd right. and and it almost always includes the same thing you know a person who is looking for belonging acceptance love and meaning they find a group of people that they feel really connected to and they get love bombed by the the cult leader and other cult members and then before you know it the authority and control of the environment intensifies and sometimes the leader starts claiming some special anointing and then you you mix in free love and a lot of interesting sexuality related things polygamy or all kinds of things and then it also inevitably lead to violence and all kinds of crazy things you know uh, yeah um, yeah, I why do you, I don't know. I just we just have to believe something. We need. I think we're all just trying to make sense of the world, and we find something that we're like, okay, that makes sense, and that lines up kind of with what I was thinking anyway. And then we just kind of dig our heels in, and it's hard once you've dug your heels in <laughs> or your nails. You know, once you're right. clinging to something like that, it's really hard to to imagine life without it. Yeah, I think if you, um, so if you went the route of thinking about the evolution of our species, if you would just think about it in that way, it appears that the religious imagination sort of first presents itself when our species uh, is under a great deal of existential pressure that is threatening even our ability to survive. So, you know, it's hard to imagine being at that, um, juncture of our spatial development that there's a universe, this is pre-science, this is pre-psychology, making sense of the universe, making sense of all this stuff that kind of happens up in the sky um, and that affects people's lives is growing understanding of yourself as a very small part of a universe that seems terrifying and random and you can't control it. 
think about being in that part of your development as a human being where you don't even understand death and people in your in-group are dying and you don't even know what that means or what happened or where they went or any of this. And so there's a lot of existential pressure from which it appears a religious imagination grew to some to kind of bolster the moods and the motivations and the social cohesion to keep the project of survival going forward. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the value of religion and later, as it turns out, as religion becomes more sophisticated and organized, the value of religion is always going to be that it takes the ultimate the, and the, the abstract, the ultimate, and makes it accessible to the human person, right? Like, you can live right next door to a large body of water, but you still need an aqueduct and something to plumbing to get the water into your house mm. so that you can make use of it. So it's the same thing with religion. I mean, there is a, a there's a universe. It's infinite. There's the, maybe you believe in the supernatural. There's the idea of God, and it was just too big. We need some plumbing to like access it, and religion is. Yeah. Right. So religion is the plumbing, right? If you can whittle this down to some beliefs you could put on the back of a brochure, a set of practices, you know, meetings and this kind of thing, then, you know, it's accessible. And that's the value. One of the values of religion is that it does that to people. Of course, the downside of that is that you can make it about the system and it can become a very closed system and a very limiting system. And then when it goes off the rails, obviously it can become a very toxic system and, and indoctrinate people into beliefs and practices that are very, you know, yeah. that are they're very harmful. So I think that in Europe, people have very significantly moved away from the religious mindset. It's secular society is more prominent. And I think that's happening more and more here. The spiritual but not religious movement. There was an article recently said that knowns are now the the single largest identifiable group of people in the United States. Wow. And like if you if you look up any group, there's no group larger than those who identify as knowns. And knowns are just the people. I'm sure you know the term that when people fill out a survey, we list all the options of what what your religion is. They click the box that says none of the above. Mm. And so the spiritual but not religious knows the atheism among Gen Z. And, you know, like you could argue that we're sort of careening towards a post- religious or post-Christian society. And I'm not like some doomsday prophet and I don't know what's going to no, happen. No. And so on, but, but if, I'm just- If history is repeating itself, that's probably yeah. what's going to happen. But yeah. I think one of the biggest like aha moments for me in my deconstruction has been when I moved from the Bible Belt to Utah and was exposed to a different religion um, that was the minority or majority here. And I was a minority all of a sudden I went from being in the majority to being in the minority and, and then hearing from them, everybody, I, and then I started hearing from other people of different religions, some of none, and every single person believed that their way was the right way. And I was like, um, guys, like, I don't know that any of us are right at this point, because I don't think, I don't think any of us are supposed to have all the answers. I think embracing mystery for me has been incredibly freeing, but it was really an eye opener. I'm like, we can't all be right. We just can't. Yeah. Or you could go the other way, which is that we all are in the sense that we're all right in the sense that, you know, like there is trying to find connection, right. Or we're going at it from our, I mean, you've probably heard the illustration of the blind men and the elephant, right? They all go up to the elephant. These blind men are touching the elephant and one of them touches the trunk and says, oh, this is a snake. Or another blind man touches another part of the elephant and says, oh, no, th- this is like this or that. And then they they get so upset with each other because they're all coming up with a different idea of what the mm-hmm. elephant is. They, they get in a big fight and they kill off each other. It's just because like the place of the like, elephant that they touched was just different. It you know, so their understanding of it. So there's a term called consilience. The idea with consilience is that you know something, there, there's a there's a good chance something's true if there is evidence of it that 
um, spans many different fields of knowledge. So the truth of Jesus fundamentally of there not being any separation between ourselves and God is a truth that is, you know, found in almost every field of knowledge, whether it's the, the scientific view of the universe as basically a field of energy, you know, yeah. that, that we have figured out it's not true, that the like space is just like there's this big space and objects are in it as if objects are in space or different from space. We know that none of that's true anymore, that both space and the objects are fundamentally the same thing. Objects are just sort of like, you know, a density of energetic, I even hate using this term because even this term seems kind of new agey, but like the vibrate. Uh, yeah. the, uh, okay. So, and the density of it, like the only reason why I can't walk up to like one of you and poke my finger through your shoulder is not because you're actually an absolute thing that exists. It's that the density of the universe of what you are prevents me from pushing my finger in like for example let's say you get a fan and if you're looking at the fan you can see to the little uh you know uh what are they Spaces. the 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 fans <laughs> the, yeah. blades. The, blades. the blades there we uh, go yay right and you can stick if that fan's not moving you can stick your hand in between the blades right because it's still but once you get that thing going and start spinning it's like you don't even see the space anymore between it and you mm. can't stick your hand in there or you could you get chopped off because of the density of the movement that's happening with the fan so there's a way that science says well this table's not real in the way we take it or this couch or even all of us right here there's a way that we're taking this that is not a hundred percent true and so whether it's science or Eastern spirituality or Western Christian mysticism or philosophical monism, you know, there seems to be agreement that the universe is fundamentally one thing and everything else is just a manifest manifestation of that thing. Okay. Now, me, <laughs> My brain will short circuited. <laughs> No, okay. Let me just say this. I last have a thing. question. You say it and then I have a question. Okay, last thing. If you go to the ocean. And with a Dixie cup and you scoop some water up in the Dixie cup and someone asks you, is the ocean in that cup? The answer is yes and no. It's no, because obviously the entirety of the ocean can't fit within the form of the Dixie cup. But the answer is also yes, because all the properties that make the ocean what it is are fully um, present in the Dixie cup. So yeah. if someone comes up to you, like someone will say to me all the time, well, Jim, you're saying you're God. Well, yes and no, no, I'm not God in that. I'm, you know, none of us are the totality of God squeezed into the form of our temporary human body. Like that can't be true, but whatever, imagine that your body, the, the physicality of it, um, it is not quite as hardened as we think it is. And the reality of the universe, the reality of what God is flows right through us. And basically our body is um, happening inside of this ultimate reality or God. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's what, you know, to me, that's how we should understand what Jesus is saying, you know, mm -hmm. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. I'm fundamentally not of this world. Like the, the biggest mistake I think Christianity made was building this whole thing around the physical person of Jesus. And that's why we had to bodily raise him from the dead because we felt like that the whole thing was attached to the actual guy, the person, the Middle Eastern man, you know, who was given, because we know even the name Jesus Christ, Christ is a title, it's not even a name, but you, you know, like, but then we built the whole religion around the person of Jesus rather than the truth he taught and lived and witnessed and demonstrated. Oh, boom, right that's there. Cool. Yeah, that's huge. Mic drop, that's so true. And that that's such a, like, <clears throat> It sounds so simple, but that's so hard for people to understand. Like it is not about the person. It is about the message, you know? Um, and I think and we do that. 
but we always like we humans love to worship a, a person. We need flesh and blood, you know, we need to to be able to it's you see it everywhere. It's the know? same thing the Buddha said, if you see the Buddha on the street, kill him. And that was his way of saying that there is no Buddha. There actually is no specially enlightened person. Like we all have the Buddha nature, we all have the Christ nature, everything that the universe is, we are. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not like someone doesn't get a little more of it or they're a little more special amount of it or a little more charged up about it. You know, like it's it's all the same. You, you could argue that the main aware of it. Yeah. So that the main yeah. the main difference between Jesus and everybody else is not that Jesus got more divinity than you did. It's that Jesus developed a conscious awareness of what he was. And any one of us can do that. Well, and he even said, you'll do greater things than I have. Yeah. Like he, he told us that. And I don't think that that means, you know, you're going to be greater than me, but like, just if you can grasp this, if you can understand that you have the divine in you, like, and you live your life the way Jesus did, I think there is a lot that we can do. Think about the language you we use even about the divine. So that we mm -hmm. say like God within us, the divine is in it. We we 100% have the idea that we basically are this body and anything else that there is has to be in it. Like the divine has to be in the body, right? Like the soul is in the body uh, and we usually are equating it with our mind, you know, because the mind is what kind of looks out at the world. Um, but we definitely have it all contained like within this physical body. Mm. It's not that the divine is in the body or that the ultimate is in the body or that the ground of all being is in the body. It's that you are in it. Mm. Like, Look, eventually your body's going to go away, right? That's what I was going to ask. Okay. That's what I want to know from you, Mr. Jim Palmer. I want to know. Yeah. I want to know what your thoughts are on if we're energy and I could not poke through you, but and all of these things, what do you, what do you believe right now? What, what would you say when someone dies? What happens? Tacos. Tacos. <laughs> Sign me up. No. Taco Tuesday. No. Well, I know that. So, of course, we don't know for sure, right? We'd have to die. Right. And even and even near death experiences don't necessarily give us any evidence of this. But you know, like if you if someone actually died and it, you know, and then but so I know. So here's the things I do. I think I know, or okay. I believe, or whatever, is that. Um, that there's one, there can only be one thing. There can't be mm -hmm. two things. Like the, the reason why you can't be separate or separated from God is that if you could possibly generate an existence separate from God, then you'd be God. Like if it was possible for you to actually generate self-existence on your own, right. you'd be God. And that's why you can't be separate or separated from God. Because it's the ground of all being. You can't exist outside of it somehow. It would be impossible. Okay, so the second thing that I know for sure is that everything in the phenomenal world, in the natural world, is characterized by fragility, uh, temporality, instability, change. Everything that has a beginning has an end. Yeah. And so, you know, your, your body, your mind and body is a temporary patterning of the energy of the universe, which has an expression for a period of time for the purpose of the lived human experience. And there's a way that that manifests in my thinking that there's a Leslie over there and a Karen over there. But deeper than that, that's not really, really real. Like, like, it's not really real in the sense that if I could look into either Karen's eyes or Leslie's eyes, and if it was possible for me to like look into your eyes so deeply, I could look all the way down deep into the very fundamental ground of what you are, I would find my that that, that was me, that we're the same, that there is no separation. 
Um, so we know that death is a transition out of the mind and body, you know, um, and if you've ever noticed if a person actually dies in a normal dying, you know, like maybe they, there's work, look, it's, it's a challenge to be born, right? Like, it's not easy. There's pushing and yelling and all this stuff going on when the baby is born. Well, exiting the world isn't necessarily all that easy either, because you're transitioning. Okay. This energy or this universe or God took the shape of this baby that's born in human development and then those components are going to break down and then there's going to be a transition back into something like transitioning out of the body into something so you know like um i mean we could run through all the possibilities right like you, you know science would say there's not just one view of science but one view is that you're you're returning you're assuming the um, the ground of being God, the energy, the universe, um, without a body. Hmm. You could say, "Well, what does that mean?" Well, I don't, I don't know exactly what it right. means. You know, <laughs> we could say, "Well, but okay, there's reincarnation. What if um, is it possible that an individual can choose to manifest in another?" another form temporary form and so there there's reincarnation of course there's heaven like you know the uh, i think that's probably the least defensible idea about the afterlife but you know um i think that buddha's description of his enlightenment is that he was sitting under the bodhi tree he let his mind just kind of become a little detached from all of this stuff going on in his mind. He had exhausted every religious pathway to end suffering. He couldn't do it. He gets under the Bodhi tree. He relaxes his mind. And the story goes is that he sort of relaxed deeply back into an experience of ultimate reality, consciousness, God, what it, that he relaxed back into an experience of being that, not being the body, but being the you you know like if you go to a movie there's a screen right but on the screen is the story that's playing like if you go into the movie theater tap someone on the shoulder and you say you notice the screen and everyone says no we don't notice the screen we're watching the movie but once the movie's over the screen is still there there'll be a new movie it'll go away and the screen is always there the screen is always there there's always a screen wow I don't um, even know how to like, I'm just so blown away by all of this. This is so exciting. Well, I can, I can prove that there's something to you that's not your body. So every thought, every feeling, every body sensation, think about this for a minute. There is, there is a you that there's a sense of a you that's there before you have a thought of feeling or bodily sensation. There's a sense of you that's there during having a thought, a feeling or a body sensation and there's a sense of you after the thought and feeling of body sensation goes away because we're always cycling through thoughts and feelings of body sensation. So the question is, what is the you that never goes anywhere? It's not like your thought changes and then like, well, there's off, off you go. You just sort of like become an absent human person. The feeling mm-hmm. changes and there you go. The body sensation changes and there you go. No. There is a sense, an I am sense, there's a sense of you that is always there. It's there before the thought, feeling, or sensation. It's there during the thought, feeling, sensation. It's there after. So it's not the mind. No. Like you, you, said, you said a minute ago that the mind okay. and the body dies. And that was like a blowing of my mind. Like... I'm well, blown away by that. like I I kind of like that idea that we're more well, than that. my mind that is that, that you can't you can't fundamentally be your mind because your your mind is in a constant state of flux constantly yeah you know um, or your feelings or your bodily perceptions. Your thoughts dissolve and go away. Your feelings change. Your body sensations change. Um, 
And so one question, so there's an Eastern spirituality phrase. One way of, of saying it is that I, I am that. So in other words, like whatever that is, whatever God is, whatever that screen is, whatever that consciousness is, whatever that ground of being is, whatever that awareness, what, whatever that is, I'm that. Fundamentally, I'm that thing. And the screen, we get so attached to the movie playing on the screen, we forget the screen altogether. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm so attached. I got these meetings. I got, I mean, there's, you know, these problems and issues and it's all about me and all this stuff I got to do and how this person's offended me and what this means. Like we get so attached to the story that's playing on the screen that we completely forget the part that is the actual screen that that there would be no movie without there would the be no movie, movie. Without, right like another way to think about it is that the screen is providing a space of hospitality for the story to play mm. you know and even the buddha's teaching about suffering is that it's fundamentally because you think you're the movie and you're attached to it you don't know you're uh -huh. the screen you think you're a hundred percent the story and you know, like, and it's not that you're not the story at all. I mean, you know, like, the, I'm not yeah, talking about yeah. we don't really exist. We're not really having this conversation. It's not that. It's that you over identify with a self that is not really fundamentally what you are. And you get so attached and over identified with it that it's the it's the cause of your deepest psychic suffering as a human being. Like there's normal human suffering, right? You hit your hand with a hammer, there's physical pain, you lose somebody that you love, there's emotional pain. We're not talking about normal human experience pain. We're talking about our deepest fears, jealousies, angers, resentments, you know, enslavements and bondages. All of that, according to Buddha, is just simply a byproduct of you being attached to your story and taking yourself 100% as something and completely forgetting the screen. And even Eastern Hindu philosophy basically says that you and I are God kind of pretending not to be himself. And like, this is kind of like the thing. It's kind of a fun thing for God to do this. I'm going to pretend like I don't know that I'm God, you know, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that that's one way the Hindus, you know, think about this. Which is interesting because I think sometimes we don't realize like what people believe. We don't stop and listen because we're too afraid to hear it. You know, like this is just stuff to explore for yourself. I mean, yeah, none of it, none of it can be true just because I said it or experienced it. It's just things that, you know, like we can all it out there. Yeah. I love, I love that. Well, thank you for sharing all that. That's yeah. like, I, this is what I love about this podcast. I love hearing different perspectives and I will take portions of what you just said along with me on my journey now. Whereas, you know, before I think I was too afraid to learn from other people and to hear different ways of thinking, you know, um, it's just been really cool. Yeah. And that's why I really like the name of the podcast. I like the idea of honoring people's journey because we're on yeah. different journeys. You know, like we, we only get into trouble when we think our journey is superior and we use our journey to judge everybody else. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like that every human being has something of profound significance that I need to learn and that I can yes. benefit from every single person's journey and what they've gained. I, you know, I don't feel like that I've figured it all out. I have all the answers. You know, I'm just like but everybody. None of us else. have. None yeah. of us have. And that's, I think when I finally realized that, I'm like, so none of us has it all figured out, but I want to know what you figured out. Like for you, what, how do you feel about this? And, and just really pausing to, to really listen and try to understand the screen of yeah. that person, not just the movie of the person, but yeah. like, I want to, I want to know the screen now like that. I love that analogy. That's I'm, I'm an analogy girl big time. So yeah that resonated so but i you know thank you this yeah let's do it been... again sometime we'll do it again sometime okay i'm gonna make you promise okay and... perfect i look forward yeah. to it 
And that's a wrap for another episode of Honoring the Journey. Check out our notes page on the podcast for links and information about our topic today. We'd like to invite you also to join our private Facebook page where we're able to connect with you and share stories. And we also pop on occasionally for special live events and answer your questions there. You can always send us an email as well with questions, show ideas, or just to say hi at honoringthejourneypodcast at gmail.com. Have an awesome day. We look so forward to hanging out with you again right here on Honoring the Journey. Oh,